0: Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation, nothing else whatsoever. And so, of course, we're going to dive immediately into spoilers for the season finale of Loki Season 1. Uh, of course, to do all of that, I'm joined by Brian Altano. We're not going to spoil Loki season. We're not. I haven't watched it yet, so we're not going to spoil it. And Max Scoville.
1: The only Loki we're going to be spoiling is your dog, Jonathan, because he's a very good boy and he deserves some begging strips.
0: (laughs) He does, but he's also not in the room, so I can't pull him out for this early time (laughs) joke on my part. Uh, Of course, we are going to be jumping into a lot of uh, PlayStation news. I do want to start off by asking both of you and I guess the audience at large. I just really want to, uh, of course, this week, Lucy O'Brien isn't on the show and she won't be next week as well. She's she's off on vacation uh, in Her native lands. And so uh we won't have her on the show for the next couple weeks, but we'll have her back as soon as we can. I want to think of something that we can do that when she comes back, we have like we we pretend like there is this ongoing joke or thread through the show. Um that isn't real, like it's not a real ongoing thread, but we just pretend like it's a thing that has popped up these last couple weeks. And we refer back to it like how Black Widow and Hawkeye would always be like, remember that time in Budapest? But we don't actually show Budapest. Budapest, Budapest excuse me. Yeah, someone has seen Marvel's Black Widow. Anyway, uh, please write into us with your thoughts. This is a
1: PlayStation show, Jonathan. <laughs>
0: what kind yeah, of, I don't I, know what kind, of, what kind of pranks would we do? I don't know. Like I don't know. That's the thing. I just want to do it. I don't know what the prank should be. I just mm-hmm. I want to do something. Oh, so oh I got it I got, thoughts,
1: it. I got it. Ooh, a bird God. flew into Brian's room and was knocking over toys
0: constantly Ooh. it's
2: still there too and i haven't i haven't found it
0: i like it we'll do a, we'll do bird watch with you a literal bird watch with you when she comes back then
2: or you know what we could do we could let's how about we do a section called the clap where we all clap for something that sony did that week we go now it's time for the clap and we go Ooh. good job sony like yeah yeah great tweet the other day that's good and then we all we all do this we just go one two three clap that's it there we go. That's good. The, play, the okay. PlayStation clap. I love it. Yeah. Clap. And we'll just keep doing it. And Lucy will be like, what's ha- what happened?
1: I love when, it. When yeah. did this start? When I worked at a, when I worked at a coffee shop, we told this one girl that um, there was a new policy. Like she, she worked the mid shift. I worked opening shift and she showed up and We're like, Hey, there's a new policy. It came down from corporate. We all have to say, thanks a latte. When someone orders a latte. <laughs> And we had her going. She did it the whole day.
0: Oh, man. That's really good. Um, I was going to play a prank like that on uh, Alana one day in the office way back when. But I uh, thought of the joke in my head and thought it was so funny that I started laughing to myself before (laughs) I could even say the joke. Uh, it was going to be about what we do on Presidents' Day in the United States and how we all dress up like different presidents and have to only speak in quotes by them. Why don't uh, we, do that? we celebrate the holiday? <laughs>
2: well, while while we're on the subject of not talking about PlayStation for the next thirty yeah. seconds, we did try to convince Alana at one point in Las Vegas that Americans at the end of a big meal uh, clap. <laughs> And so we all went out to, like, a big, hearty lunch restaurant, and then at the
1: end, we were like, yeah. Well, that's, oh that God. started when, like, you guys were in the plane, and it landed, and then somebody started clapping, right? Wasn't yeah, that it? Yeah, 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 which is weird. <laughs> which is weird. It's, I feel like clapping in movie theaters on an airplanes, like, I, I sort of get it, but it's also, it's always awkward because it always sort of starts with, like, one person, and everyone else is like, oh, some people are like, I guess I'll clap. But other people are like, why are they clapping? No one should be clapping oh. right now.
2: Uh, like i've been to movies where people clap at the end and i've been on flights where people clap at the end and, but in like the 90s they used to show uh movies on flights but no one would ever clap at the end, <laughs> which is weird that's like a two you know
1: passing of the ship well that'd be weird it's is because everyone would be sleeping and everyone would just start clapping in the middle it would be like what happened And would be like i've i finished uh now you see me part two <laughs>
0: Well, did, of course, did, as we sorry, go ahead, Brian.
1: I was going to say, is there any PlayStation news? List? Well, no, I was going to say,
0: of course, as we all know, you also always clap at the end of every video game you finish when the director's name shows up. Yeah, uh, and that will be the clap. That will be <laughs> doubly true with uh, the upcoming director's cuts that we have coming out in the world of PlayStation, specifically the Death Stranding director's cut and the Ghost of Tsushima director's cut. Uh, but as we learned earlier this week. Uh, Even one of those directors, Hideo Kojima, is not a fan of the phrase. Uh, In some tweets that I believe someone had said they have now been deleted, but I'm going to double check and see if that's actually true. Uh, But anyway, in some tweets, uh, Kojima was talking about how a director's cut in a movie is an additional edit to a shortened version that was either released reluctantly because the director did not have the right to edit it or because the running time had to be shortened. Uh, he then followed up and said, uh, in the game, it is not what was cut, but what was additionally produced that was included. Uh, so in my opinion, I don't like to call it a director's cut. Um, this is a little bit of a weird moment for uh, a like name and convention. And I kind of want to talk to both of you about it, because obviously we we also I think all three of us, you know, are are very into movie releases and, and tracking the production of movies and all these things and like the the term director's cut does really mean something very specific to that world and so bringing it over into the game world you would think oh it is the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor that they couldn't get into production but both this and in the ghost of tsushima blog post where they revealed all the the content that was planned they talked about a lot of this was made in feedback to people had after the game launched so right. what we're dealing with here are essentially two deluxe editions of a game or you know the the final mix version that's the thing that kingdom hearts uses a lot it's a thing that like has existed in games but using the term director's cut has started to draw some ire from people and also some confusion from some of the directors making the games um so i kind of wanted to start off by just generally asking how you feel about the use of the director's cut naming convention and if you feel like it's going to be a problem or it's just something that they they kind of think is some snazzy marketing term and brian i'll start with you on how you
2: feel yeah about um well we got into this a little bit last week and it was kind of interesting that the this quote from kojima came out uh, via his twitter just a few days later because last week we, we talked about um sony has, is probably using this term because they want to sort of play up the sort of cinematic importance of their games right they want to make these big Sort of like blockbuster tentpole movie, you know, very sort of narrative-driven games with directors and you know, with with all all the feel of like a a, a big movie release, um, but as a video game, right? This these are these are stories that they're trying to tell. That's been a big part of what they're doing. Um, that said, I think that like the director's cut thing has never always made a ton of sense. But if there's one thing that the Snyder Cut accomplished is that uh, that sort of changed the terminology forever, like there was such a sort of weird back and forth bad blood on how like Zack Snyder was able to go back in and finish his film from acclaimed pervert, Joss Whedon, who, uh, went, uh, basically <laughs> not, got, not, not acclaimed I, for the perversion just to no, no, fair. no. For, no. I guess like people liked his stuff before he was a pervert or he was a pervert the whole time, whatever. Maybe you still like his stuff. That's on you, not me, never cared. But, uh, so I, I think that like Zack Snyder famously going back in, finishing his movie and then hbo being like we're going to put all of our sort of like promotional strength behind this use it as a traffic subscription driver like there was a sort of redemption arc story there um this is not really what's happening with games that were completed got nominated for game of the year uh you know sold a bunch of copies critically acclaimed for the most part reached a bunch of fans and stuff like that um These are not uh, people that were locked out of the studio that weren't allowed, you know, the the editing room, weren't allowed to finish their stuff. This is people going back in and adding more things to it. And like Max said last week, you know, the game of the year uh, moniker is kind of tacky. And I totally agree with that. And so I'm glad they're finding something. But I I do think that there's like there I I think there should be a different terminology here, because if we're two games in and both of them are coming from directors that had full creative control that are now going back in to add more stuff. Um, and one of which is publicly saying hey i don't really agree with this phrase then i think we need we need a new naming convention here
0: yeah it's obviously something that it based on this comment to me and and based on it being used across different like both internal first party and first party published games is very clearly a thing playstation wants to put forward and I, right. I agree with you like it helps convey that sense of them of like very cinematic game experiences, and that's that's really what they want their mark to be in, in, in games that can uh, sort of transcend the idea of just something you're playing, but some some artistic medium that, that rises above necessarily. Right, I um,
2: saw uh, Jeff, Jeff Grobe um, from GameSpeed tweeted out that like Kojima only put that tweet out to so he could tell his friends, you know, Nicholas Winding Refn and uh, <laughs> Del Toro that uh, he knew what a director's cup was. <laughs> it's like super funny to me. That's such a good joke. Good work, I Jeff. love that.
0: Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a strange moment for the term because yeah, I, I agree. And, and yeah, Max, as you had said, like game of the year is, is a silly term to use at this point, especially because probably any game that wants to use game of the year can find a website that called them game of the year. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean a certain thing anymore. Um, well, you so could be
2: nominated for like best music and then that's still technically a game of the year nominee. So, you know, it's sort of like Academy Award winning movie Suicide Squad.
0: But, <laughs> that's, yeah, 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 that's very true. Uh, but Max, how do, how do you feel about the, the I, usage right now? I
1: think it's okay, ironic that the person who has a problem with the term director's cut is the director. Like mm-hmm. maybe they should have floated that by the actual directors before being like, this is their version of it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, the the thing here is that this is software and it's, it's applying a sort of, you know, cinematic uh, naming convention to it, which doesn't always work. It's kind of weird. If you look at like what like software by, by design has like iterations, like it's very normal for there to be like, Oh, it's version 2.0 or it's the upgraded version or whatever. Like that's super normal for games because they are, they are software and they are easy to not easy to patch, but they're more easier, easier to patch than like, you know, an album or a movie or something like that. Um, Conversely, when we talk about what a remaster is, uh, it's, I feel like it's almost more akin to like a shot for shot remake. Cause you look at what like a remaster is in terms of music and it's going in and like kind of tweaking the levels and like adjusting the um, you know, maybe it's, it's taking the original tapes and like, you know, running through again, but you know, you're, they're not, they're not recreating the entire album from the ground up. Whereas we have this whole conversation about like what constitutes a remaster versus a remake versus a, reboot in terms of games nowadays um yeah i I don't know the 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 director's cut seems like they maybe should have workshopped that a little bit more uh especially if you know Is this the
0: the second time they've used it it's it's these two games so yeah it'll be ghost and death stranding that are are getting that moniker
2: and they're probably ramping up to use it for the last of us oh totally yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah um yeah i don't know it's 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 odd it's also i mean it's if if it's a version that has additional stuff that was made for the sake of that. That is, that is more like the kind of Snyder cut George Lucas special edition approach where you're like, I'm going to go in and, and add a bunch of things and shuffle things around and change stuff up. But it's, I don't know. It's just, it's sort of funny to think about. Um, because I, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird name. It's, it's very funny to me that Kojima was like, I don't like this name. Me, the director, like this is yeah. not. Like-
2: well, because that, that game was, I mean, like there's, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I I'm, I'm stunned at the way that game came together because that was a, a guy that basically very publicly left a company he worked with for a long time over creative differences, um, sort of famously was incapable un- or unable to finish his last game. I saw some trailers getting kicked around for MGS five the other day, and there's just all this stuff in it that were just not in the final game, which is interesting. You know, that, that game sort of didn't really have an ending. Um, but then he went on with this awesome redemption story and Sony funded, um, you know, the development and uh, he created this brand new studio. He had all those people in the hallway with the statue. Like he had total creative control and that's really cool. And I think on the movie side, a, a thing you see a lot is, extended edition right or like the extended cut and that's usually when they add extra scenes i'm actually surprised that they haven't used that phrasing for um video games because like gamers love knowing that they're getting more of a game they love to know how long uh, of a game they're getting for the you know perceived value uh, how many hours are being tacked on the ghost of tsushima stuff that's adding an entire new island uh, is rumored to add somewhere between like 15 and 20 hours of new content and it's odd that that isn't just being called like DLC or an expansion or anything like that. Um, but it's all just being rolled into this director's cut thing.
1: So where in the case of in the case of Ghost shima I feel like that actually that naming works on two levels because they had the mm. whole Kurosawa mode. And then it's also a game about cutting stuff. So it's almost it's almost like a wink <laughs> and a nod to play on words, but yeah, I don't know.
0: I can't wait for the Fruit Ninja director's cut then. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I will say so a thing, I I am the, there, there are those rumors going around from a uh, alleged ghost tester. Um, I would say from things I've heard, don't put too much stock into all of that. Um, But nonetheless, I do think we're going to get a pretty sizable chunk of of new content here. Um,
2: Oh, was that a rumor? The 15 hours of extra content?
0: There's, there's been uh, a, a Reddit leaker who was a tester on the game. Who uh, has all this oh. info about it? But it, I, I wouldn't put too much stock in it at the moment. Um, well,
2: my uncle works at Nintendo, uh, and he said that he, he shouldn't play this game because it doesn't have Waluigi in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's also, it's. I want to say it's, it's weird that Sony's applying this term across the board. Like it's kind of it, we all know what it is in terms of movies, but at the same time, movies frequently use varied terms for that. Like we have obviously the you know the Snyder code or the you know Mad Max Black and Chrome Edition or whatever. Even looking at like like the alien box set is like alien director's cut aliens director's cut alien three work print slash assembly cut alien Mm -hmm. resurrection with additional footage like it's not even like across the board um like Blade Runner infamously put out a director's cut in the 90s that was based on what like Ridley Scott's notes were but they didn't really actually go in and mess with too much and so when Ridley Scott actually got his hands on it he made the final cut which I think a lot of people are like, Oh, director's cut. That seems definitive. And then, you know, they go on and watch the final cut. It's, I don't know. It's, it's such a, it's, it's, I guess, I guess what's reassuring is that it's a, it's a messy topic regardless of the medium. Right. I I, I was actually going
2: to bring up the Blade Runner thing. You're right. Because there's still to this day when people go, Oh, Blade Runner, I've never seen it, which, you know, (laughs) please fix that. Uh, People are always like, which versions should I watch? And there, there was a debate for a while. About which version you should watch, like, and I I think video games don't really have that, right? Because like, if you have the choice between the director's cut of Death Stranding and and you know the launch edition or whatever, like, you're going to tell people to get the one that has more content because I don't think it's necessarily messing with the pacing. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, I've heard people debate um, which version of Majora's Mask or Shadow of the Colossus should I play because these make sort of aesthetic changes in their remastered form. Um, that uh, is, is sort of much of the chagrin of some, you know, diehards and purists
0: yeah the, the, these two in particular as as you were saying with Death Stranding and, and Ghost as well where it's like hey we all know how fun and engaging it is to just explore that world and go around it and here's going to be a version that lets you do that in a brand new environment as well like in addition it, it's kind of like there's no reason you would say no only stick with the base game at that point why do why? like unless the new island is awful which I'm not expecting based on everything they've put out like you would always tell people to go for the next one and also Max to your point of like the term already being kind of a mess as, as you were both saying with the Snyder cut, it's like, well, yeah, he went like, he had a lot of footage. Sure. But then also went and shot, you know, tens of millions of dollars more to right. add to it as well. So it's, yeah, like the director's cut, the, the blank person's cut, uh, is kind of always in a strange place. It, it It's just in a weird position right now with I think PlayStation wanting this to clearly be a thing. And one of the first directors that they have on board being like, I don't get the naming here. It's, it's just a weird <laughs> moment for it. Um but as as you said I imagine we'll continue to see this unless these versions do terribly in sales which I'm not expecting to we'll probably get more director's cuts as you were saying <clears throat> excuse me the last of us part 2 feels like the next obvious candidate um I don't know where else they would go from there like in the immediate back catalog cuz I, I I feel like all focus is on the next God of War and Horizon Forbidden West so I don't feel like they're going to put new content into those games at this point but, right
2: um, right yeah, I mean, well, never say never, right? I wasn't expecting this much new stuff being added to Ghost of Tsushima. I figured they yeah. would do sort of like a a standalone, you know, and sort of what Naughty Dog does, which is make like an eight hour kind of spin off game, um, or DLC, or just save it all for a sequel.
0: Yeah. I mean, they they had something similar with that with uh, First Light for Infamous right. um, at the beginning of the PS4 generation. So it's cool to see them continuing to support things as long as it means more PlayStation releases. Like, that's great with me. It, a chance to revisit these Same. games I love, so I'll certainly take it. Um, though in terms of how those affect the the rest of the lineup, I'm going to switch just a little bit in the run of show. Uh, we know Ghost of Tsushima and the Death Stranding Director's Cut are coming late this year, uh, August and September. A a PS5 exclusive, console exclusive we were expecting this year, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, has been delayed to early 2022 uh, in order to protect the health of those working on the game. Uh, A statement from the uh, Tango and uh, Ghostwire Twitter account said, We've made the decision to delay the launch of Ghostwire Tokyo to early 2022. We want to get the game in your hands as soon as possible so you can experience the unforgettable version of a haunted Tokyo that we've been hard at work building at the same time we're also focused on protecting the health of everyone at tango our new release window will give us time to bring the world of ghostwire to life as we've always envisioned it thank you for being patient as we work to bring you an experience unlike anything else we've ever made we can't wait to show you more in the coming months um Mm. this i i want to ask both of you but at least for me this doesn't totally surprise me because we've seen so little of this game like since the the launch trailers last year the reveal trailers excuse me we've really gotten nothing about this game so it doesn't shock me that they needed more of the time that said i'm also glad that this comment in a continuing trend that we've seen does address the well-being of the developers obviously this is a an official corporate statement like you can only take so much of face value but the fact that these statements have like there's been a recent trend of them continuing to mention the health of the developers we saw this with god of wars delays too at least i appreciate that that's in there because it does hold them a little bit more accountable because then if we get stories of oh but actually we're working them to the bone even worse because of the delay like that begins to create a very troubling narrative for these studios so i I like that it puts a little bit of accountability there but in terms of its delay uh brian i'll start with you Does, does this come as much of a shock to you
2: um, no, not exactly. I do wonder sort of what the exclusivity window on this remains. Um, I remember reading the fine print in the State of Play the other day about Deathloop basically said, you know, coming to Xbox a year later. So I, I don't know if this also delays whatever sort of window that happens there. But um, yeah, I'm fine for the studio taking its time. I've never really feel like I'm, you know, uh short on new games to play uh, to what you were mentioning earlier about sort of the crunch culture um, evolving and changing. Uh, I, I think that's one of the best things that can happen. I know every time we bring this up, people are like, well, my job's hard too," and like, you know, with that, we should fix that as well. But if you, if you back to sort of rise, son of Rome, right. One of the uh, launch titles for the last Xbox, the studio at the time sort of famously tweeted out, Hey, we've ordered like 600 pizzas to keep everybody full while they're home working late. And a bunch of people at the time, they thought like that was a cute thing to say. And a bunch of people were like, that's not good. You shouldn't be doing that. I was reading uh, a piece about retro the other day um, and everyone loves them, right? Like when you think about Metroid Prime and Donkey Kong and stuff like that, people are like, wow, what a great studio. They're under Nintendo. You don't really hear about crunch from them a lot. Um, Development diaries through them showed that they were crunching like crazy through Metroid Prime. And it's one of the most beloved games. Like this was such a part of uh, a video game developing culture for so long and to see that slowly change um, by uh, sort of through the pandemic and through uh, other public means, you know, people like uh, Jason Trier writing books about it and stuff like that. I think all of that is bringing awareness to a problem that is happening in video games. It's also happening elsewhere it happens in movies but uh with you know sort of the way unions work uh the the way you know people are under contract they have to work per hour they have to get specific breaks and times and stuff like that um the culture seems a little bit different there although a lot of people sort of have been head down in the editing room working on things for years and you don't really hear about it but hopefully this is something that changes none of these things sort of have to come out you know this day and, and this second that we we need to demand that people don't see their families and friends and their you know children and they're, they're lacking their you know ignoring their personal health and hygiene just to you know animate doors in a fake Tokyo, so take your time, do your thing, we'll be here when you're
1: ready yeah, yeah the, Max, other, how are you? the other thing Go is ahead. like we, we you know we talk a lot about sort of like cr- crunch culture being a an like an old problem it's just now being addressed which it it is in a certain degree but i imagine it's in to a certain sense it's it's actually been getting worse gradually in the same way that like you know we video games have stayed the price of 60 bucks but they've like what quadrupled in resolution and that's just that's just visually like there's there's so many new components and so many moving parts and they're you know these infinitely complex like massive massive uh pieces of software and it, it it's I imagine that there's this there's old habits that some studios have of being like we should be able to turn a game around in three years, which was probably true ten years ago, but now, if you're moving with you're you know dealing with that many more moving parts and you're developing for instead of i don't know putting a game on disk for for two systems, putting it on two, what five different variations of two systems digitally and on disk, and then maybe having to patch stuff and then deal with whatever online components i mean you read about like you know Atari development. And they would have like like one or two dudes would make one game in four months. Right. And it would come out for one system. And like obviously that, you know, the the game would look like um it would be like four blocks bumping into each other, but like, you know, (laughs) things things scale. Like now you look at something like, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey or or um the Valhalla, Valhalla, that one. Um I, I mean, really any of them. They're just they're they're huge. They're they're staggeringly large. And that's from like a massive global you know, quadruple A studio that that's has been doing this on such a consistent level. I mean, maybe the reason we're seeing Assassin's Creed games uh go from being a yearly release to a, you know, every two years release is because to adjust for this, you know? Like we you know, we've seen games that get that get horribly rushed. And um I guess this is sort of the, the flip side of 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 crunch culture and delays is that like it, it's it's a what a video game is is sort of a moving target. And mm-hmm. you know, you look at what games were Ten years ago and it's it's a different like it's a different ecosystem like it's they're trying to do different stuff and they expectations are a totally different thing and um that's that's without the giant monkey wrench that is working remotely during a pandemic
0: yeah well, and, and even just to use the example that you were going with there with Assassin's Creed, their uh, production pipeline is changing even more because of that uh, recently confirmed Infinity project that I believe Trier had broken the news about, and then Ubisoft uh, had acknowledged of essentially a, like, a platform-based future for Assassin's Creed going forward, and it, even something that, to me, I think of as a long-standing, single-player, robust, like, action adventure campaign w- with open world obviously but a- as one of those things is suddenly becoming more more and more of a live service and the, and the past few games have been leaning that way but the the pure nature of like live service games also just completely throws that all for a wrench there was um I don't know if you guys saw but uh Apex Legends was hacked over the July 4th weekend and uh w- with this uh campaign to fix Titanfall it, it was this whole big thing but one of the devs tweeted about like hey because that hack was happening I was playing with like my newborn nephew and had to hand him back to his parents so I could go work on fixing this patch over a holiday weekend. Like mm-hmm. that has completely changed. Like all of that just so completely changes the way game development happens beyond the the mystery that it already was for so many of us.
2: Um, right. And the other side of that conversation was sort of consumers being like, I paid money to access content here and I have my first sort of few days off in a while. Yep. And I wanted to and so there was an expectation on both sides. And I don't I don't think that like, the, the toxicity doesn't solve anything, obviously, anyone sending death threats, and everybody can open <laughs> a space. Um, but the sorry, but the uh, I, I think that like, the, there is definitely like the consumer is also saying like, Hey, I, you know, I paid to access some of this stuff, how do I access it? And it, it just sucks for everybody all around. But like Max said, these are these are massively scaled new projects that are only growing bigger and bigger they are dealing with so many more things uh like the four guys making the four block bumping game on atari didn't have to like figure out how does this play through you know the amazon luna cloud <laughs> service or anything <laughs> like that like you know how does how what about people trying to remote play this um from their downstairs living rooms there's there's a lot more things you know that, that take into account now um and with all of that sort of convenience uh, of, of, of us being consumers to be able to access our games in different ways, play them on different platforms, you know, uh, you play them through the cloud or remotely or whatever it is, um, become, becomes more work and more testing and, 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 and more things involved. And so I don't really know what the solution is there, right? Because there's, there's always going to be something. Uh, we were just covering a story today about uh activision asked like this this hacker was basically just like i have the most nefarious call of duty war zone hack ever made and it's undetectable and unstoppable and he put up videos and they were like please please don't do that like please don't do that and he was like all right i won't but like that's a, that's again a sort of they've banned half a million hackers in that game already so it's like you know while one evil was killed another will rise <laughs> like it's always it's always going to come from somewhere so yeah i yeah. don't know what the solution is games are are big and crazy now and um there's gonna have to be a little bit of patience across the board from everybody involved
0: it is a miracle that any game ever gets made whatsoever and works (laughs) because of all the incredible moving parts in it and so yeah please uh you know with your with ghostwire with any of the games that get delayed please uh let the developers be let them work at the pace they need to to live healthy normal lives as well there are I, I would go out on a limb and say you probably have plenty of games that have come out that someone has told you is amazing that you probably haven't played. I myself have about 700 of those, so I can assume everyone <laughs> out there has at least a couple uh moving on from there just briefly want to mention a couple other pieces of news uh we're going to be getting a bunch of persona announcements for the anniversary of the franchise i personally can't wait Uh, i will of course wait until those announcements actually happen and i hopefully will get andrew goldfarb to yell either on a voicemail or something to be able to be on the show about them whatever they may be um a gran turismo 7 beta has allegedly leaked uh there is a uh experienced PlayStation website that Sony has that uh basically people were able to sign up for a beta uh by putting in a placeholder download code of course this beta is not officially announced but uh it's always good to see some signs of life for Gran Turismo 7 as we wait for more news on that one uh but that was of course delayed into next year so we'll we'll wait to see if there's another sort of state of play that an announcement for a beta like this might come through mm-hmm. uh we also got news that uh, Final Fantasy 14, which of course is playable on PS4 and PS5, is so popular that Square had to stop selling it digitally for a little bit, which I really enjoyed as just an amusing <laughs> side, because I just don't think that ever really happens with digital sales.
2: Can, uh, can you please explain that to me? So, did, were, were they worried about server stress?
0: So I think it was partially server stress, because at least like, so the way it works is you can obviously choose which server you're on and which server you're choosing to play Final Fantasy on, and uh, that will allow you to be with certain players so like i was playing with a few people from my streaming community and so we waited a little bit to all get on the same server uh and it took like uh, my my girlfriend was playing a lot as well to get on the same server she waited i think like two or three hours and this was months ago this was when it first came to ps5 but she was waiting and just refreshing every like 10 minutes for like two to three hours to get on that server because space is just limited to a certain extent And so I think to avoid server stress, to avoid too much happening, because they have just seen such an influx of players over the last few months, I think they just needed to pause sales for a little bit to be able to, you know, catch up with everything. It's Um, a good
2: problem to have, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: definitely better than the reverse.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, like we've read uh, the opposite story where like online games have to populate their servers with bots just to get enough people to make matchmaking possible for like a, a simple, you know, player count. Um, so this is, I mean, it's also Square Enix is like sort of famously overshot when it comes to sales expectations with games, you know, like they're always like, we have to hit, we hit 6 million instead of 7 million and we underperformed and you're like, what? That's a lot of millions though. Um, so this is cool. Like I, hopefully they can, they can figure out how to get more people there. Like it's kind of awesome
0: yeah it um apparently it was over the weekend i believe that the wait list essentially had uh you know been stalled and you couldn't get through it uh when we had checked it this this week uh matt came on our news team and checked it it seemed to have resumed normal function so it seems people are able to get in but uh it it has very popular specific servers as well so depending on where people were trying to get into that could have likely mm-hmm. affected it as well uh and then last on the on the news doc i just wanted to mention of course uh man is getting DLC yeah i don't think i put this on here but i also am very excited i put that on there (laughs) (laughs) because i know you you
2: you and i both we both platinum that game recently Um, yeah yeah that man that game is awesome uh i i've talked about this before max max and i did a let's play for it that's super fun that you can dig up um it's a just open world shark game narrated by chris parnell of, of snl fame it's very goofy it's very over the top but it also has this like kind of weird un- undercurrent no uh pun intended um sort of thematic plot line about sort of anti-ecoterrorism uh this is like a deeply disturbed and disgusting ocean full of wretched humans dumping toxins in and still swimming around and this shark uh for a number of reasons gets revenge on all of them and you basically go around i love that there's a spongebob easter egg, <laughs> goes around hunting down all these um Like, you know, poachers, trappers, and just nefarious, awful people who are out at sea trying to kill you and trying to disturb the environment. And it's just so much fun. And so they're adding uh, basically this entire new area. They're upping the level cap. They're adding new sort of armor sets. And what's cool about this is like you you get different armor sets that are kind of like a fin and teeth. You can get like electric set or bone set or whatever you want, the shadow set. And they're all super, super fun to play with. Um, I just like basically a hundred percent of this game recently. Uh, it's it's on Game Pass if if you're looking for something to play there. I believe it was on PlayStation Plus at some point. It was, yeah, it, it was believe, right
0: end of last yeah. year.
2: Yeah, um, and it also got recently got a uh, next gen uh, patches and stuff like that. So it looks and plays very well. It's beautiful. Um, super super fun game. Very idiotic. It's not the deepest thing in the world. Again, no pun intended. But uh, <laughs> I won't say the gameplay is shallow. But um, no, no, please, play, please <laughs> play Maneater.
1: And if not, uh, just
2: wait for the DLC because it's, it's going to be really fun. I
1: really I really appreciate that this is a game where you play as a shark, not mm-hmm. like a guy who's a shark theme or something. Like, I feel like so much of the time right. they're like, it's a game where you play as an animal who has humanoid characteristics. I mean, this obviously the shark can jump and kick and stuff. But like the fact that they pretty much designed an entire control scheme for like a shark body is such a it's such a novelty to me because, mm-hmm. you know, the the sort of. I don't know how many games do you play as as a as a person with arms and legs who runs around and jumps and stuff. It's like pretty, you know, it's it's kind of kind of played out. I do that every day. I'd like to be a shark for a change.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's a lot of fun as Brandon was saying. I also like it uh for like its length. It is a, you know, 20-hour RPG, which is wonderful and so you're you're constantly getting that hit of aggression or uh progression, not well also aggression because you're a shark. <laughs> uh but the the progression of it is just kind of constant. Uh, you're getting to either do silly stuff like flopping on a beach and attacking humans or, or explore underwater. There's a lot of collectibles and stuff. And yeah, the DLC Truth Quest will launch on August 31st. And this plays into the whole fact that like the game that you're playing is also a reality TV show called Maneater. That is sort of the the overarching thing related to Chris Purnell's, uh lines and everything. And so I mm-hmm. think the world has been shown this, the true nature of this, this port and everything going on. And so the, uh, the conspiracy theories only get crazier from there
2: it's it's got that wonderful GTA thing where you sort of like ra- rack up the kills and all of a sudden, you know, more and more crazy things start coming in and i believe the DLC is bringing in like helicopters and stuff like that. Um the base game uh had these sort of like the end game had like these sonar boats that could uh, uh, like send electrical waves, waves out underwater. It's just so much fun. This game is also um responsible well, i'm responsible for because i'm stupid. But one of the dumbest things <laughs> i've ever asked in a tr- uh, like sort of trade show interview was max and i were interviewing the developers and i was like there's all these buildings ev- everywhere can can the shark go in them and they were like no he's a shark
1: <laughs> see i think that should be dlc like because you can go up on the beach and flop right a little bit what if he involves can- lungs and he just goes up and he can't he can't like walk or run he just has to flop like that like, just a flops like, like 50 yeah. That's to stare <laughs> that'd be great
0: flopping the shark along the the sand office shark is mm-hmm. so fun. oh my god office it's shark. so funny I mean, yeah they need something for Maneater, too. Why they give him Elton John glasses? What's going on here? This looks great. Oh, there's the dance sequence. You don't know. Oh, good. Yeah. There isn't, but you could believe there would be in this game. Um, yeah, it's a really a lot of fun. I can't recommend it enough. It is definitely, as, as Brian said, a little bit shallow, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really fun time and a relatively easy platinum for those who care.
2: Mm-hmm. you um, called it like a good podcast game which i i totally agree with
0: yeah it's a lo- like i think listen into it and have fun while chris parnell is telling you silly parts about the story but if you're just going mm-hmm. around trying to collect you know the 30 underground signposts, also, just the
1: podcast. it is shark week <laughs> it is shark week so maybe True. you know observe shark week in a a good way to, you know and yeah and you can play the truth-seeking adventure in <laughs> august i guess
0: uh there also will be like a little bit of a demo i think for the dlc so you know cool. go check that out but uh in addition to that whether you're playing man eater or something else i do want to talk a little bit about what we've been playing especially because i know uh you guys have been jumping into a, a bit of a storied franchise that we've talked about on the show before but brian i'll start with you what have you been playing
2: Yeah. So, uh, they had a sort of deep sale after, uh, E3 or whatever E3 was this year where, you know, we got more information about, uh, Far Cry six. Um, and I did a interview with the sort of like lead writer and the sort of, uh, lead sort of creative gameplay, uh, designer. And it before, when we were getting warmed up, because we're working from home, everything is like a million technical moving parts. We just started sort of reminiscing about the Far Far Cry franchise. And I just had one of those things click in my head where I was like, This is such an incredibly important franchise to me. It's always been so near and dear to my heart, but it doesn't really, it's not really something I associate with like, you know, you go like, Oh, I really love like the legend of Zelda, or I love the last of us games. You know, there's this like, you know, large narrative that, you know, connects so many of these things and they've been special to me because the, the far card games are very similar, but also largely disparate in terms of their settings and tones in a lot of ways. Um, but I noticed that like they put a bunch of the games up super cheap. So I went back and I, I bought Far Cry 1, 2, 3, 4 and Blood Dragon. And I think I got all five of those games for like 18, 20 bucks total. So they're super cheap. Sorry if you missed the sale. Um, they regularly go on sale, though. And I just went back and started like tracing the roots of this series, which is something I've been trying to do a little more of with things I love. Is sort of figure out like where did this start, how did it evolve? And I think there was a lot of sort of notion that uh, this is a sort of stale and repetitive franchise. And I, I would say in a lot of ways it is, but n- not really more so than the average video game series. that gets annualized, um, and I think a lot of those get a free pass. And I, I just I feel like this is like a sort of like it's weird to say this about a, a franchise that. You know routinely sells very fairly well gets fairly critically acclaimed but i feel like far cry has kind of slept on like i feel like people don't really celebrate this series in the way they do a lot of other big ones um and watching it grow and evolve over the years going from the first far cry which is very sort of straightforward you don't have a ton of wiggle room in terms of your creativity uh, but also like famously for the time it was mostly outdoors right, which is uh, in an era of, like, sort of corridor-driven first-person shooters that were dark and strange. And Far Cry 1 has a lot of that, too, uh, including weird mutants that you have to fight, which I totally forgot about. Going into, like, a large tropical setting and giving people, uh, you know, hang gliders and all these different weapons and zip lines and stuff like that was really clever and really cool. And then moving on to Far Cry 2, which I think, like, suffers a lot from being the kind of the sepia-toned, murky brown looking games of the era that you know your early gears of war your resident evil fives um that's when it started to move open world but three is when it really sort of just like kicked off right like three it hit its drive almost, almost sort of perfected the formula that we see today um But it got me a chance to jump back in a four, which is a game I believe I 100 percented when it first came out. You know, Troy Baker plays Pagan Min. It takes place in Karat. Uh, It's got sort of these gigantic mountains, but also rivers. It's got, you know, tigers and elephants that you can ride. um, Bulls. There's all sorts of like bizarre, crazy animals in it. And it does uh, some of like my favorite stuff an open world game can do. I think it totally does that like the thing that Far has always struggled with is how do we tell a serious story but also get a bunch of goofy nonsense in here and i think five dropped the ball in a lot of ways uh the setting was kind of boring and stuff like that but it all just got me so damn excited for far cry six uh which is coming out later this year and i feel like this is like gonna really bring the series back to where i want it to be um and i can't wait for it personally like so yeah far cry rules
1: Good, well said brian yeah i i'm I jumped into one and two um, I, I played two, I don't know, a million years ago. Um, it was one of, it was like one of the, you know, I had like kind of a lapse period in gaming through college. And then I, that was one of the games that I kind of picked up and got me back into it. And it was just, you know, I was blown away about how cool it looked and how like the, like the, was it the procedurally generated fire that will just occasionally work how you want it to. And other times it won't mm-hmm. at all. Um, but yeah, Far Cry three is one of my favorite games ever. And it's, it, you know, you know, you said it well, like it, that game is or that series i think it's written off a lot as you know just being another annualized ubisoft thing but like the problem with three is how much it completely like threw that formula in the air and how many systems it introduced that have since been kind of like done to death by other ubisoft games but the whole idea of like oh go to this area climb the watchtower unlock the thing around here sneak into the outpost you can go loud or you can go quiet and then you know i mean it I feel like it's just, it's a very rock solid foundation to the point that since then it's almost been like, it was very sporadically, uh, like it evolved very, like kind of all over the place. Like the first game to the second game to the third game, they were still kind of like figuring out what worked and what didn't. And then the jump from the third to the fourth is like, you added bees and elephants, (laughs) you know, there's like not a ton of new stuff in there. Um, I personally, I never, I didn't, I never loved the setting for four. Like it's a really fun game, but for whatever reason, it just didn't gel with me. Um, but I'm I'm extremely excited for six too. I think it's I, I have this weird thing. I don't know what I don't know what makes me like this. I like games on islands. There's something yeah. I like about that. Like it 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 I think there's that there's that inher- inherent frustration of being like, What do you mean I can't go any further? But with an island, I'm like, that makes sense. Islands are like that sometimes. I'll forget you know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Um yeah, well, I mean I love I, Link's Awakening, honestly. Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah, like exactly. this is, you know. There's a finite set of tiles you can walk on here. (laughs) There's something just wonderfully self-contained about that. And also, I don't know, it compels you to go inward as opposed to outward, which is, um, I don't know, it's a whole thing. But um, I
0: um, am as someone who I think dips in and out of the franchise and and hasn't played it nearly to the extent that both of you have, at least from like somewhat of an outside perspective. I feel like part of why it maybe feels like it flies under the radar, sort of like uh, Brian, to your point, is that. After three, because three was like such the acclaimed hit, it felt like at least in the marketing, every game after was trying to tell you how it was like three, um, right? For better and worse, and so it was like here's the villain who is like Voss but isn't Voss. Here is the, you know the the lush outdoor setting that will be part of it. um Here is the political but not political story that's at the heart of it. I, I feel like it got buried under a lot of the like how does it compare to three conversations often, which is. Mm-hmm often what kept me away from like oh i heard four wasn't as good as three and it has a lot in common so i I just skipped four i'm sure there are great parts of it like you were saying you've enjoyed your your visit back to it but it was just something like oh i heard it's like three okay i'll move on Oh five kind of muddies the water with it. Its story, okay, I'll move on. Right, I think they also they uh,
1: may, maybe maybe people like this for this reason, but I feel like this is not the the primary selling point. Like this is obviously the sexiest part of it to be like we've got this incredibly well written villain and it's all very you know edgy and and it's like kind of you know it's mature storytelling and like you can see they're continuing this. They got you know John Carlo Esposito playing the villain in the new one, which is which is great, but that's not why I play Far Cry. You know, yeah. like I I play Far Cry because I want to like trick a a wild boar into biting someone which is funny to me and then i will ride away on a stolen jeep which is on fire like that that level of like kind of uh emergent gameplay craziness is like really that's what it does so well but it's also that's i think a lot harder to a lot harder to market um without just seeming like you're just throwing a bunch of shit and sees what's seeing what sticks
2: Um, i think what what ford does in terms of what you're talking about is really interesting and uh in that Troy Baker's pagan min is sort of consistently more annoyed with your actions. And he will radio radio in to you and to be like, You just blew up my base, you son. Of a bitch. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come kill you and something like that. I think that's a good way to do it, is sort of just like um marry your actions with this kind of subtext of like, all right, I just went on this massive, crazy killing spree. I threw bait into the middle of this base camp and uh a tiger attacked everybody and then i got in this crappy little uh, duct tape helicopter and flew away and it went <laughs> like and i'm throwing bombs on people and stuff like that blowing up his convoys and then he calls in to be like why did you do that to me i hate you i'm gonna kill you that, i think that's an interesting way to do it but i feel like the um the joseph sneed stuff they did in the in the next one um i, I feel like this five was such a weird step back it also it's a franchise with all these bizarre diagonals like uh blood dragon works really well because it's it's totally assertive in, in how completely insane it is and it's also three to five hours long whereas far cry primal felt like um an interesting experiment and a nice deviation from the norm and i was sort of uh I'm I'm kind of impressed at the way they were able to find parallels um, to make like sort of, you know, uh, Fred Flintstone versions of all of the <laughs> contemporary Far Cry tropes. Um, but then there's also all these weird DLCs they do from like the Valley of the Yeti to like the weird Vietnam war stuff. And a lot of it just is all over the place. It doesn't mesh. But then underneath all that, there's like this custom, you know, create a game mode where some fans like recently built the entirety of GoldenEye like it's just it's so crazy and i just feel like there's so much here that's cool but it's so all over the place but also samey that it doesn't really it doesn't really have its place in like the you know the video game hall of fame
1: Mm -hmm. well it doesn't it doesn't have like memorable i mean it has memorable characters it doesn't have a memorable like universe because it's each game is as the namesake like it is a far cry from the last one like it's always a it's always a crazy different new place that has a lot of you know it's a it's a wacky setting it's a you know it's a virtual tourism in a sense where you can do whatever you want um but you know it's that double-edged sort of like i personally uh i don't know i always hate the abstergo um you know illuminati stuff in in assassin's creed like as if you jump into one of them and you haven't been keeping track of what's going on you're like what did i miss who are these people who are these normal regular humans in like polar fleece vests who i have to play as for a while and i'm like i, I just assume to be like give me a game where you're a viking or an egyptian guy or ninja or whatever like whatever like let me you know i'm I'm down with like the like i know what an assassin's creed game is I'm happy to jump into it and i appreciate that far cry is all kind of it's doing its own thing like right. every game is it's is encapsulated and obviously there's like returning you know side characters and familiar themes and things you have to climb to unlock areas of the map but like it's i think because it isn't you know it doesn't have this like serialized through line that there's not maybe there's not like a pressure for people to stay up to date with what's happening in that in that universe um i don't know it's maybe that's sort of the appeal to me is that it's there's a sense of discovery there because every every game is a new is a new thing to a certain degree even if some of the mechanics are familiar it's more like what is this place what's going on here
0: yeah Yeah, i think they, they live and thrive on their settings right yeah and you do get that shit. Like as I was saying, I, I jump in and out and like when I jump in, I love it. Like I, I have a blast. Um I uh, even going to your point, Brian, like I weirdly I really admired the bit of primal that I played for its attempts at like putting modern ideas and conceits into the idea of riding a woolly mammoth and beating someone over the head with a bone club. Like <laughs> it, it tried its best, but yeah, there there are times where I think the scattershot nature of it also does make it feel like a franchise that if I miss it for a couple years, it's fine. Um, but when I do play it, I, I I love it and play for, you know, 30, 40 hours and, and have a blast with it. I, I'm excited for six, like as of right now, I I think the setting can lend itself to to a lot of great possibilities. It seems like, as, as we're all saying, like it being on an island, I'll yeah. have like a general sense of the space of it, which I really appreciate. Giancarlo being in the game is definitely not a, a bad side to it. Uh, Teresa the dog looks adorable but yeah mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where the dlc that's going to bring back all the villains like i I don't really care about like that right. season
1: past yeah that's that's like familiar acid trip stuff which is like again it's sort of okay that's not what i just signed up for
0: yeah mm-hmm. and, but like I, I get it to a certain extent because the, the villains are the things people know about this franchise and that also allows them to plan ahead for what the season pass is like people may love parts of far cry 6 and maybe they'll pivot and do some dlc around it but they can't account for that they do know people love Voss and and pagan men and and joseph seed at least like as as like touch points for those games people know what they relate to and so it's easy to blood
1: Blood dragon is like a singular thing and i was totally expecting that to become Annualized or repeated in in the way that so many you know Ubisoft things are, but to have like a short standalone Far Cry game built in the same engine, we've gotten you know we've got like the Valley of the Yetis, we've gotten the the weird sort of Far Cry Five spinoff stuff, and now the thing with New the Dawn, villains, yeah. but but it's never oh yeah, New Dawn was kind of that that, but that was I mean that was trying out a whole like
2: it was like, like a, almost a literal repaint of it Far was Cry yeah 5, it was right? it
1: was a weird call and like the thing that made. I don't know. I love Blood Dragon so much because it didn't take itself seriously and it didn't overstay its welcome. Like it was such a bizarre little, you know, experiment. And I was almost like, what does this look like if you try it? What are there different flavored versions of this? Like, what if you do, you know, you do like I a, a, I don't know, a medieval version? Like, cause that one did the sort of neo, neo-futuristic vaporwave sounds amazing right yeah. like that would be that'd be wacky like, and i mean we got we got caveman Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.
0: if primal was a five-hour thing kind of like blood dragon yeah i'd right. be more right. fondly remembered. and it's as it's an bittersweet
1: idea. because like i liked i liked primal to a certain degree i thought it was it did some really interesting stuff but it also i i don't think i finished it because i just i didn't i didn't care there's just like cavemen yelling at me and, and with subtitled caveman language and i was like okay that's cool i got a bow and arrow this is fine and mm-hmm. it was you know i I guess at that point there was definitely sort of like franchise fatigue because like three was amazing blew me away the blood dragon more of the same but completely kind of reimagined and and shaken up enough that it was it was interesting and also it was short it's like five hours long and then four came along and it was so much of the same with like little tweaks it was like you know very familiar and then by the time primal rolled out i was like i'm i'm good you know yeah um one thing i about about five is like I feel like it didn't really gel with any of us. And it's like, it's definitely well made. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we live in America and like the marketing was very much hinging on sort of like eh, some American politics that maybe don't really, don't really gel with everybody. But it's also like, if you live in, I don't know, if you live in France, like that's probably like a crazy exotic location to go to. But if, I mean, if you, I mean, if you live in, if you live in Nepal, like playing Far Cry 4 is probably like the same thing where you're like, Okay, like sh- I guess, like I'll mm-hmm. go f- climb a fake mountain that it looks like ones we have here. Um, yeah, well, like yeah.
0: Also, the timing of, of five, just in relation to where our country then went in the preceding Yeah, years. yeah. Like, that was if if you need an escape from uh, politics, Far Cry Five was not the best place to go.
2: <laughs> right, and yeah. I, I've said this, I've said this before, but like the, there was a lot of conversation around five, that sort of being like this skewering of Trump Republicans. But Far Cry Five is one of the most sort of like overtly you know uh gun like gun proud games i've ever played like you run around with a with an assault rifle that has an american flag on it and it's a blast you know like it's it's like no pun intended like it's it's i think that that game sort of celebrates a lot of a a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of like sort of more liberal people were expecting it to skewer. My issue with five is that when I go to these games um, I want all of these sort of systems to be completely insane and not necessarily in familiarity, but when we were doing press interviews for five uh, and I, I brought this up with the, with the people I interviewed the other day, I was like, you, you, I, I asked, I asked you guys a couple years ago, like this game takes place in Montana. Famously, that's where there's tons of dinosaur bones. Like, will there be dinosaurs in this game? And they are like, we actually got that very stupid question a lot because I think a lot of people were just like, so you have what cows and like turkeys, like that's, this is boring. Like what I love about four is that there are so many different animals in that game. It's insane. There's honey badgers and goats and there's monkeys and there's I hope, we get, I
1: hope we get a Florida one. I feel like yeah. Florida is just going to be <laughs> like floor, floor cry is just going to be like,
0: Oh my God. Just, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. Got all the animals. Actually, you need fan boats i think do we have fan boats mm-hmm. for that game? i can't even remember
0: it should be yeah i feel like fan boats yeah. are in three and then you yeah you can put fan boats easily enough uh, floor cry as you mm-hmm. god that's gonna just be the name for it now um anyway it is also interesting we are getting uh, just because we were going back to talking a little bit about like do people feel like they're connected to this world in this universe we are getting a, ne- a netflix anime for far cry as well as a blood dragon like six episode anime uh these I totally forgot that.
2: about that Also, they they made a they made a Blood Dragon Trials game too. Oh right, yeah. We always forget about.
0: (laughs) It's it's such a strange franchise in terms of as as you were saying, Brian. Like it feels like it can be all over the place, and that's perhaps why it does go under the radar. But when it's really fun, it is really really fun and engaging, and and is sort of the prototypical thing we think about for a lot of these Ubisoft open world ideas. So I'm I'm excited for Six, like especially. If we see some other open world games like Horizon Forbidden West perhaps not come out in 2021, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, hanging out with Giancarlo and, ju- and just seeing what that world's up to. But I- I'm glad you- you've both been sort of the- in revisiting the franchise, still finding the stuff that you love about it so much and, and it bringing back those memories because I'm-, I'm really looking forward to 6.
2: For yeah, sure. thanks for giving us a place to yell about it
0: of course uh what what is the show if not a place to yell about things uh and any other games briefly that either of you have been playing that you want to touch on
1: i jump back into hitman and i love that game so much i love it um there was there was one mission that i just i hadn't done like i basically i played through three fell in love bought the other two games went through played all of them and i think it's the last maybe the last mission in two or one i don't know it's but it's a resort it's on an island there you go. Before and it's, go. it's, it's interesting because for whatever reason, it, the way it starts you out, it's like kind of, um, I like, I I had a really hard time with it and I think it like starts you off with like less access to weapons or crap or something. And I I was like bashing my head against one particular route and I just eventually didn't, I didn't rage quit. I was just like, man, and then like walked away. I didn't touch it for a while. And I just, I jumped back into it and I was like, I don't think, I don't, there's a whole part of this. I didn't check out. And I went like creeping around in some bushes and then just, Messed up this server farm and then poison a bunch of people with like vomit gas and just I had a I God I love that game and I just I'm so excited for whatever they do with James Bond I really hope it's like just even slightly on par with Hitman because this this series is just oh God it's so good um, I also I I've been occasionally d- jumping in to do the elusive targets which are like the you know limited time you only get one shot it's now or never mama spaghetti on your sweater whatever kind of <laughs> just you got it you got to do it like get the, get this one person you screw up it's gone forever and the most recent one was a pair of twins but you could only kill one of them and if you hurt the other one you were in big trouble and i was like oh boy i gotta find this needle in a haystack i gotta track these guys down they're creeping around this you know pastoral italian beach town i'm gonna i'm gonna track it and i like go around the first corner and they're just like standing there taking a sightseeing tour or something and i was like oh well that was easy and then i like like a weird pervert just like crept around by their by their bottoms and was like looking at their wrists because one of them has a gold wristwatch and the other doesn't i was like i gotta find the guy with the watch and i'm like <laughs> they didn't they didn't care like they were completely unfazed and i was so used to like i don't know killing high profile targets who were just like if you go anywhere near them they're like 18 guards You're like get them but these guys were just walking around and i'm just like i basically just walked up right next to them and then just like shot one of the guards and tried to shoot him it missed the other guard starts shooting at me I just shoot the guy in the head and just take off running and then get in like one of those little Mr. Bean cars and then drive off. And it was like, I did the mission in like three and a half minutes. You get no stars. You're an idiot. And I was like, well, I can't do that again.
2: Key, one of the funniest video game franchises. I don't think I really realized that until the new one. So funny, but it is so like, I think you can play this game perfectly and meticulously and just be a hitman right but also there's like there and even before you get in like the clown costumes and dressing like a a complete buffoon like there is so much stuff that you can do in this game like like that that just makes it just makes me laugh so hard every now and then i get so incredibly excited you just mentioned it that this team is working on a james bond game like that is so awesome I keep forgetting that's happening between that and like Bethesda making an Indiana Jones game. It's, it's kind of like, okay,
1: mm-hmm. th- that's two big projects to be really excited about.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind cause... of, you go ahead, Max.
1: I was going to say like, I, I hope that they keep the sort of sleek and very stylish design of the newer bond movies, but have some of the sensibilities of like the, the older Roger Moore ones. Cause if you wind up with like completely, just completely wing nut nonsense gadgets, like what you do, you get exploding rubber ducks and stuff like that in this game. But if, but at the same time, it looks all just like hyper stylized and just like, oh, yeah, like this is a cool this is a cool guy who has sex. But also he's got jetpack in his briefcase. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's.
0: Does. That's exactly what I was going to say. It was just like it, it, talking to the idea of like, you can play these games, the Hitman game, super meticulously and be the best Hitman in the world. And you can also do it like an utter buffoon and still win, like piling bodies in a bathroom like that. <laughs> uh, like, there's so much variety there. And I think that does speak to Bond across the ages of like, you can get this more serious side of it and also the wackier side where it's, as you were saying, like jetpacks and jet skis and the moon. And, and, and like, you can just go to such crazy heights. I feel like they can find that balance really well. And like, I think back to older Bond games, I actually like never played GoldenEye growing up, but Nightfire was a really big touch point for me. right? And and like, I think about how those were very, you know, like first person shooter, cinematic campaign games. And like, yes, there's a place for those with Bond, but I really want them to lean in the direction of a Hitman game. Like I want them to do what they do well. And I feel like that's the reason you go to them for a Bond game.
2: It's right. I mean, wh- one of the first things that happens in GoldenEye, the movie, which was recreated in the game, is that James Bond pops into out of a vent and kills a guy in a toilet. Like, that's funny. If you don't think that's funny, I like I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's f- killing a guy in a toilet in a suit. Full suit is funny. And like they put that in the game. And I just I feel like there's like this, you know, there, there's a comedy element to James Bond that's always been there. Um, and just like it's there for Hitman, it is such a perfect marriage of IP and developer. But Yeah, I can't wait to see what well, they're doing with this.
1: My whole thing is if if you made if you had Agent Forty Seven like literally just say the names of the achievements or the challenges out loud after doing them, you've got a James Bond game. Yeah, because he's yeah. like, you know, there's one where it's like if you if you take a I don't know it's like if you poison a, a hot like a hot sauce shot or something, or you just take a, a, saw, a shot of hot sauce. It's like it's like forty seven on the Scoville scale or something. It's like which is just so it's so. <laughs> It's so corny, and I love it's it. It's got yeah? that
2: Peter Parker thing, right? Where he's got like the goofy one-liners. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, there's such a good yeah. balance. I I need to go back to that one. That's just one of those things where it's like you can get lost in a level, especially if you're bad at it. Like you can get lost and just be in a level for hours, which is really right. fun. Yeah. But it's like a thing you you. I kind of feel like you need to give a lot of time. It's
1: also it's super duper forgiving with um with saves coming. I mean, yeah. which is totally cheap as hell. But basically, if you save before you try something completely stupid. And you actually pull it off, you'll get the achievement, or whatever. You get the challenges, and then if you reload it, I think it basically, like you can basically, I think you can kill a dude like four times over and on the same save, sort of. It's I don't know, it's a whole weird thing, but like, it's the thing that really worked for me is basically leaning into my failures and being like not trying to play it super super well and stealthy, but was kind of like okay, I'm going to go in here like kind of a klutz, going to be more of like a Mister B and then a Mister Bond, you know? Let's (laughs) let's do this properly.
0: (laughs) It, it lets you do both of those and yeah it's it's such a great example of what they're able to accomplish I, I can't wait to see what they do next with bond but yeah it's i I keep forgetting hitman was like a game that came out this year and is one of my right. favorites but yeah it's a really great time i need to go revisit that this summer but uh anything else you guys have been playing before we wrap up that you want to give a shout out to
2: nothing off the top of my head I mean, yeah. wolfenstein well our audience won't care, but I'm ready to give <laughs> Skyward Sword another chance this weekend.
0: I am too. I keep forgetting that's this weekend. I definitely am excited to do that as well. Uh, I have just been continuing I I've, I've not been great at sticking to anything, so I've just been playing some embargoed stuff I can't talk about, nothing huge, but just some fun stuff we can talk about in later weeks, and then just continuing my Fortnite and personaing. Just really yeah. not been able to like stick into anything too much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. but uh we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about as more games release as we get into the fall uh august as we mentioned we'll have ghost of tsushima and uh Kana bridges spirits so it's actually going to be a bit of a busy month for playstation before the fall rush hits uh but that's going to pretty much wrap us up for this week's episode of podcast beyond uh brian and max anything you want to plug this week uh
2: uh god it's been busy um i helped relic and sega announce company heroes 3 yesterday we did a whole presentation for that that was fun i interviewed suda 5-1 yesterday that's gonna go up soon and then there was and then i did a i did a big piece on uh metroid that we're publishing i believe tomorrow so keep an eye out for that
1: um,
0: um it's tomorrow too yeah <laughs> i've been
1: doing the weekly uh cannon fodder series which um uh, Jesse Gill writes and produced and I then he has me go in and I add a bunch of dumb jokes and we have a ton of fun with that show. And it's just uh, like we've been doing it for every episode of Loki. We did one for Black Widow. I don't know what happens next, but we'll be doing one for that as well. Um, and if you've been, I don't know if you've been keeping track of these shows and just want the sort of um, the sort of dorky color commentary and all the weird background details, that is the show to go watch.
0: Yeah, I've I've been really enjoying them, especially as like a a very tightly produced like here's the recap if you need it and here is the the easter egg and supplementary stuff you guys have been doing yeah
1: and if you if level. you don't watch those shows and you want to pretend that you do that's also a great loophole because we spoil yes. everything and then we do it real fast and then yeah. you can act smart with your friends even without spending 30 dollars on disney Premier plus platinum sapphire access or whatever it's called
0: that's the full <laughs> name yeah no you got in one uh, yeah, i i really love them especially as i have definitely checked into some other uh, Easter egg videos that are like an hour long. And I'm like, why am I here for, for an hour? I just want to know who that background thing was. And, and you guys get to it very well. It's very funny. Uh, they're really great. So definitely go check those out. Uh, but yeah, do, I
2: my, do I have to diss my hour long Easter egg
1: videos like that, man?
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know how you find the time to do that on the side, to be honest, but you, you keep doing what you do. If you guys want to I, see a
1: great hour long Easter egg video, my mom hid all sorts of plastic eggs and Cadbury delights in the backyard. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do a real time Easter egg hunt. I'm going to see if I can find them all. And then I'm going to come inside and eat them out of my pastel basket i, I did that with I my kid that. on easter this year but i
2: only bought 12 <laughs> eggs so i just kept following behind her taking her out of the basket <laughs> hiding her him
1: again and it was, yeah. i was
2: like oh is this is it these are how the devs ex- extend the gameplay
0: that's <laughs> it's like a yeah,
1: you're roguelike
2: assets. easter egg <laughs> <laughs>
0: A, a producer would love you because you were being very cost conscious. That is. A yeah, point. it was like, it was yeah. like
2: a like a really grindy mobile game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, if any developers want to reach out to Brian for uh, help on producing uh, asset use in their fo- follow up games, you know who to contact. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, I do want to just put out director's a general <laughs> you're on your director's cut. Yeah, bring in Brian. Uh, I do want to just briefly mention I had mentioned on Twitter just in the sort of fallout and kerfuffle of all the like PlayStation indies discussion and whatnot. And I do know some some developers do listen to the show uh if you have a game coming out in the future on playstation that you want to talk about uh to a playstation audience and people who love talking about games uh feel free to write in to beyond at ign.com i'd love to talk to some more indie developers on the show have them on talk about the games that they're making uh why they're so cool because there are so many different varied awesome indie games coming out uh, and would love to be able to put the spotlight That's, where we can. That
1: sounds preferable to spending 45 minutes talking about whether or not Kojima likes the word director's cuts <laughs> or whatever.
0: Hey, it was only 30-ish minutes. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of Podcast Beyond. Normally, we publish every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN Beyond, and your favorite podcast services around the world. Unless, of course, Sony surprises us with a Thursday say to play, as they seem mm-hmm. to like to do. And we Uh, will be
2: publishing a three-hour version of this episode in September. We're adding race cars and ramps, um, so keep an eye out for that.
0: You can also look forward to my Easter egg breakdown of the show, (laughs) including all of the games that all three of us leaked throughout this episode that you'll find out about in the future. But uh, otherwise, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at J.M. Dornbush. Brian is at Agent Bizzle and Max is at Max Scoville. Thank you both so much for joining me for this episode. Thank you, as always, to Red, our producer, for making the show happen. And thank you, everyone out there listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond.
1: Beyond.